0: from gentlemen do you realize what we found it came from outer space to fill the world with terror what earthly power can stop this terror that's the signpost up ahead your next stop from outer space
1: myth is much more important and true than history history is just journalism and you know how reliable that is. Joseph Campbell
2: There is every bit as much evidence for the existence of UFOs as there is for the existence of God. Probably far more. At least in the case of UFOs there have been countless taped and filmed and also unexplained sightings from all over the world along with documented radar evidence seen by experienced military and civilian radar operators. George Carlin
3: I happen to be privileged enough to to be in on the fact that we have been visited on the planet and the UFO phenomenon is real. Edgar Mitchell.
2: And welcome back to the podcast from outer space. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got Billy the Kid, a.k.a. the Korean Cowboy in the studio.
3: What's going on, gentlemen and world?
2: And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Fare
1: thee well, Earthlings.
2: And this is episode 118, where we will be doing a comprehensive history on ufo phenomenon in other words ufos the whole story
1: yes today gentlemen we are finally closing out alien summer with a definitive history on ufos the whole story the whole Shabil, the whole shebang the big enchilada big kahunas <laughs> the, the big kahuna <laughs> what else we got come on this is unbelievable big daddy Big daddy, the big daddy, the big daddy of them all, the Mac daddy. Yes. Now
2: we're going to have a, uh, alien summer closeout sale on the site, dude.
1: Uh, probably not. You know, uh, we're, making, <laughs> we're making, <laughs> we're scraping by barely as it is. Okay. We, we can't, uh, our profit margins are already thin now. Now, obviously, you know, this did seem to be a huge topic in the news this summer, It's ultimately why we stuck to alien episodes all summer long. Um, This idea of disclosure, proof of intelligent life in the universe, government secrecy, possible alien invasions, you can't get away from it. It's popping up again and again. Um, Now, going back to the birth of ufology, there has always been a sort of perpetual hope from UFO believers that disclosure was imminent. You know, one day the government's gonna come out and say, Yes, guys, we have the craft, we have the bodies, we've been hiding this from the public all of this time. And uFology has long been on the hunt for the smoking gun that would blow the lid off this whole motherfuck. Am I right?
3: Oh, you're so right, and as Rob always says This shit is just going to keep going on and on and on. Right, Rob?
2: (laughs) Is that that what you said? (laughs) Is that what I said?
3: I mean, kind of. You're just like, oh, you know, we we still don't know anything. We still have no idea what's going on. It's just going to keep going on and on and on. Right? Same shit, different toilet. Okay. Pretty much.
1: Well, in in the past few years, the UFO wave, we'll call it, has hit another peak. Uh, The clock seems to be ticking closer and closer to some kind of groundbreaking news. The question here is, is this any different from events of the past? Are we truly on the edge of a UFO horizon where once we cross it, there is no turning back? Or, as Rob would have you believe, is this all just a part of some great UFO cycle that we are doomed to repeat for decades possibly centuries to come case in point (laughs) now with this episode our alien summer finale we are giving you the whole ufo story as it has unfolded this far uh and keep in mind this is mostly in the united states uh but i do have some tales from other countries in here as well now of course um we aren't going. You have
2: some Tales from the Crypt?
1: I don't have any Tales from the Crypt. Now, now of course, <laughs> um, we aren't going to be talking about literally every UFO case that has ever occurred in great detail because that would be far too great of an undertaking for a single episode. Uh, so, what I've done here is essentially put in the cases that have. Move the proverbial needle. Uh, more specifically, they are some of the bigger cases involving UFOs and this road to disclosure that we find ourselves on. Um, so, probably, yes, you know, if you're a massive UFO fan and you're listening to this, you've probably heard of most of these before, and we've covered some of these before. Uh, so, there's going to be lots of plugs in this episode. Rob, get ready for that. Um, and if I can find it, I'm going to use my little uh, theremin sound effect quite a bit as well. You know, the little like... What the hell is a theremin? That's the... It's the instrument. It's like a radio antenna. It's the only instrument you play without using your hands, I believe, without touching it. And you go... Invented by aliens? You, like wave what? it. You know the sci-fi noise? woo yes yeah look it up mm-hmm. dude i'm surprised you don't know about this being a percussionist and all
3: fuck me right <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i've been looking for a good theremin on on ebay maybe i could get one and do it live on the, on the air you know if i can figure out how to play it um, now nah, that'd be perfect man the, uh, me uh, yeah
2: just play the sci-fi ringer on your phone well dude.
1: i i need to find a better one because that's too drawn out i have a quicker one it's it's in my soundboard somewhere i'll find it um now this episode is is so like I said, you know, you're a massive fan, you probably heard most of this stuff before. Um and this episode kind of when I was putting it together is maybe more geared towards curious folks who found themselves interested in all this alien hullabaloo going on all summer. Um so if you are a UFO fan that's a listener and you have a curious friend who's like, "Hey, UFOs, what's up with that?" share this episode with them. Um, and you know I think there is something in here for the hardcore believers as well so get your browsers ready because uh, you could do a lot of googling with this episode and you know furthermore these aren't just nuts and balls Kate's Nuts and bolts cases and sightings we'll be looking at. I've also weaved in a fair amount of pop culture myth and common conspiracy narratives as well. Uh, And we'll see how this all comes into play in the lens of the UFO phenomenon, Uh, because I do think that this stuff goes hand in hand, you know? And as we know from many popular cases we've already looked at, a lot of these UFO narratives have essentially become a folklore in and of themselves. Um, these are stories, motifs, mysteries that have found their way into American culture. They're as much a part of the American story as the Founding Fathers are baseball.
3: Am I right? Never thought of it that way, but yeah, pretty much. Did you say George signed that ball?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like Ger- George Herman Ruth, dude. He p- probably was an alien. Um, now, obviously... I don't think there is any one smoking gun case that you can pick out and say, look, definitive proof that aliens exist. Uh, Bobbles (laughs) are. And and with all these cases for this episode, we are giving a summary. This isn't going to be a full on deep dive. Think of this as a macro level UFO highlight reel, speaking of baseball, uh, because I don't believe I be, I do believe that looking at all of these events on a timeline in one single episode can definitely help us to analyze this stuff on a bigger picture sort of scale. And you know, maybe we'll we'll connect some dots along the way and uh, see how we got to where we are today. Because, like I said in the last episode, this story. Is absolutely insane. You couldn't make this shit up if you tried. This is like that uh, crazy guy with the yarn connecting all the pictures on his wall. That's this episode. And the yarn is going to be connecting a lot of our past episodes. Uh, you know, that's been me all month, guys. I've been... Le-
2: so you're Charlie Day? Yeah,
1: Lexi will come in my office. I, mean, I look like Albert Einstein in the picture with his tongue out, you know? And I'm like doing... A- oh, no. <laughs> I've got all the math equations on my board and stuff. Uh So I guess before we hop in, you know, give me a brief overview on where you guys stand on the UFO phenomenon, you know, throw whatever you got out there. Current beliefs, disbeliefs. Is it physical, metaphysical, paranormal? Is it something else? Is it psychic? You know, whatever comes to mind, what do we got?
3: I believe something is definitely happening, Uh, a phenomenon, a physical phenomenon, You know, you look at all these cases from the past that we're going to hash into, um, you know, shortly in this episode. But now we have all this new technology that's picking up all these, all this phenomenon and through radar and all these different systems. And it's kind of making us realize that these craft are moving and defying the laws of physics as we understand them or the technologies that we have or, or understand. So... I think that that is physical proof that something is going on here, and I personally think it's either just real extraterrestrial beings or like drones or something visiting us in the physical realm. For what reason, I do not know, but I'm sure our government knows a lot more than we do.
1: Okay, so you're a nuts and bolts guy. You think these are physical aliens or drones or what have you coming down here? Correct. Okay, okay. Rob, what do we got?
2: Um, I mean, I guess just to piggyback off of what Billy is saying, if you let me, I guess, let me just pander to both sides of the aisle on this one, because if you're like, I got to have definitive hard evidence of this, there are multiple videos, pictures, and like, yeah, you can say that certain stuff is edited or photoshopped, but like, there are definitely some... Uh, very convincing videos out there of, at least of UAPs, if if that's what we're going to call them from now on. Okay. But if you want to go on the other side where it doesn't have to be necessarily like a fucking picture of an alien, like landing on the White House lawn or something, you could say that there's like a wide variety of, not just uaps but alien contact some of this stuff could like you mentioned actually be more of like a paranormal experience where like if you've seen like the pictures of like orbs and they're like oh is this an alien like maybe it's not an alien maybe it's a ghost you know but that but that's like uh
1: open to both you'd say this is your beliefs you know we don't have to pander to anybody here this is whatever you think
2: yeah no, but I'm just saying, like, I I mean, obviously, like, you and Billy know this, but, like, I think all of us have had a paranormal experience or two, and, I mean, it's definitely something that I personally believe in. I know there's a lot of people out there that, like, haven't had that happen to them yet, or maybe they're just, like, one of those people that aren't really open to those experiences, but I think that, like, both things definitely exist and it's just a matter of like kind of defining which is which and in the case of UAPs like I know all summer I've been kind of like talking shit on these guys that are getting paid you know these fucking like billion dollar government projects and they're always just like oh well uh, we don't really know what's going on so we're gonna close this one down and then five years later do the same shit again okay i i mean i think in this day and age you kind of have to believe that there is much more out there that we don't and like we don't really have the technology at our disposal to like fully say like oh yeah you know like 10 light years away there's like these planets with intelligent life on it we're like we're not there yet but obviously whatever's coming to visit us isn't from here and or it's like some weird fucking loop and it's like some people say it's like us coming back like from the future just to like check in see different like things in the timeline
1: you're hitting all the theories here Right? Yours.
2: I guess I'm just, I'm just like spouting off like what I think, but also like what are like potential theories, I guess. So you think
1: it could be a little bit of everything. You're agnostic to the idea that it could be something.
2: Well, I think that there's a lot of confusion out there and what's going on. And the government has been very, um,
1: retarded (laughs) Uh, we don't
2: want to say that word but i would say they've been inconsistent i guess on providing us with like actual details like the only thing they've really been consistent on is that they don't know what they're looking at and they don't really know what they're doing but they have they have all this advanced technology at their disposal so I would like to believe that there's someone at a higher level that actually does know what's going on. They're just like, oh, fuck, we can't tell them about this. Okay.
1: Cigarette. Do you think there's a cigarette smoking man out there Um, in the shadows? All right. Okay.
3: Out there deep throating.
1: Now, did you have anything to add, Billy?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think all those theories are. Obviously valid and believed by many people, and you know they're they're definitely fair to believe uh, whatever they want. I just ask our viewers, and and I ask not not only our viewers that are believers of this phenomenon. When I say believers, just you know, in terms of thinking it's some alien stuff, but I think it's imperative that people understand that this phenomenon is actually happening, and from what we understand our government and scientists they do not understand this phenomena either or at least that's what they they're telling the american people right so for me it's it's the it's something where it's acknowledging the phenomena and then it is taking the steps to figure out what that is okay to me it's you know aliens aren't far out of the realm of possibility when you consider the expansiveness of the universe so that's kind of where i'm at Okay, okay,
1: very good. All right. Okay, so... Oh, uh, yes, very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we're getting scientific here now. All right, without further ado, let's dive into the Podcast from Outer Space Comprehensive History of UFOs.
2: Should we just write a book? Maybe. See where that goes?
1: Uh, maybe. So, so in the beginning... Um, this tale starts way, way back, before any of us could even pick up a baseball. Now, some aficionados believe that the UFO, that UFOs have been documented since biblical times. Uh, by far, the most popular version of this theory comes from the book written in 1968 by Eric Von Daniken, Chariots of the Gods which poses the hypothesis that the technologies and religions of many ancient civilizations were given to them by these ancient astronauts who were welcomed as gods. Now, this was not a new idea, even when von Daniken published his book. Uh, A lot of people point out that much of his work was influenced by a gentleman named Robert Chereau. Uh, who is viewed as a pioneer of the ancient astronaut's theory. He published at least six nonfiction works in the genre, including the 1963 novella titled
3: 100,000 Years of Man's Unknown History.
1: Now, another even earlier popular work in this genre is The Morning of the Magician's Colon Introduction to Fantastic Realism. This was a book from 1960 written by journalist Louis Pauls and Jacques Berger. Is that how you would say his name? Is it Jacques or Jacques? I think it's just Jacques. Okay. Jacques Berger. Um, Now, this book, so I didn't read the book. I read the back flap, um, but essentially- (laughs) You bought this book? (laughs) No, I didn't buy the book. I just found like a PDF, but- uh, so the book is intended Sounds pretty good the book is intended to challenge the reader's viewpoints on historic events whether they believe the explanations or not the goal is to give readers the opportunity to test their level of cognitive dissonance and critical thinking skills by presenting a collection of raw material for speculation of the most outlandish order now this book covers topics like crypto history, ufology, occult roots of Nazism, alchemy, spiritual philosophy, and die Glock. Uh, More on that later. Uh, now all of these books can be traced even further back to the works of H.P. Lovecraft, most notably the Call of Cthulhu in 1928. Now this outlines the investigations into the ancient cosmic deity Cthulhu. Uh, quoted as being
2: one of Lovecraft's bleakest fictional expressions of man's insignificant place in the universe.
1: Now, his other works on the subject include At the Mountains of Madness, published in 1936, which involves a scientific expedition to Antarctica where explorers discover ancient ruins in a dangerous range of mountains higher than the Himalayas. Hiding an ancient secret of 14 prehistoric life forms previously unknown to science and unidentifiable as either plants or animals. Upon discovering an abandoned stone city, the men learned through hieroglyphic murals that these entities first came to Earth shortly after the moon took form and built their cities with the help of other biological entities. Now, all of these stories would help to popularize this ancient astronaut theory, and the latter helped to popularize Antarctica's place in the ancient astronaut mythology, a theme we now see in popular sci-fi films like John Carpenter's 1982, The Thing. Uh, We even did an entire episode on Antarctica ourselves, as it holds its own place in the world of the unknown.
2: For more on that, check out episode number 60.
1: And, you know, these days, the ancient astronaut theory has served as the inspiration for History Channel series Ancient Aliens. And it is used as a plot element in television shows and movies like Star Trek, Stargate, The X-Files, the Alien franchise, Neon Genesis, Indiana Jones, and one of Marvel's flops, The Eternals. Um, one of them? <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> one of them uh, that that has this, uh, you know, ancient astronaut mythology kind of wrapped up into it. Now, bring us into the full on, I guess, like this is where the cases kind of begin. Uh, you know, I mean, take the biblical stuff as you will. You can believe that or not. Um, but that brings us into the 1800s. You had the what is known as the mystery airship or phantom airship phenomenon. Um, This was an airship or possibly multiple ships that thousands of people across the United States claimed to have observed during late 1896 and early 1897. Now, it was popularly believed that the mystery airships were the product of some inventor or genius who was not ready to make knowledge, the knowledge of his creation public. Um, As we know, the Wright brothers didn't master flight until 1903. Now, the Zeppelin I was looking up was first formulated in 1874, patented in Germany in 1895, and then the United States in 1899. Uh, But they were not flown commercially until 1910, full 13 years after the sightings had ended. And the early Zeppelin's capabilities were far more limited than these mystery airships appeared to be. Now, some historians note that... uh, These newspapers of old, uh, the the so-called yellow journalism era, were more likely to print manufactured stories and hoaxes than modern news sources. Uh, And, you know, even that statement is questionable. I think plenty of manufactured and sensationalized stories still get printed today. Um,
2: This is true. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, also, editors of the late 1800s often would have expected the reader to understand such stories were false. If only they could see us now. Um, and now. Now, most journalists of the period did not seem to take the airship reports very seriously, and after the major 1896-97 wave ended, the subject quickly fell from public consciousness. Now, these tales of mystery airships did receive further attention in the mid-1960s when UFO investigators suggested the airships, might represent earlier precursors to post-World War II UFO sightings. And to this day, the mystery airship reports are still seen as a predecessor to modern claims of alien-piloted flying saucers. Um, now, now, keeping us in the 1800s, um, so the War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells was published in 1897. Now, with this story, Wells is credited with establishing several extraterrestrial themes which could go which would go on to be expanded by science fiction writers in the 20th century and become common tropes of sci-fi as we know it today, including first contact and a war between planets and their different species. Now, there were stories of aliens and alien invasions prior to the publication of War of the Worlds, but none were as widely read or nearly as popular as Wells' War of the Worlds. In fact, it is considered one of the first works to even theorize the existence of an extraterrestrial species intelligent enough to invade Earth. These were often referred to as Martians in the early days. Um... Now, speaking of embellished tales, yellow journalism, like the 1800s airship mysteries and Martian invasions, that brings us to the 1938 radio broadcast narrated and directed by Orson Welles, based on War of the Worlds. This was presented as a series of news bulletins, and uh, it's it's infamous for leading to outrage and panic by listeners who believe the events described were real. Uh, now, For a full breakdown, check out our War of the Worlds episode. Episode number 75. Uh, One of my personal favorites that we've covered in the past. Um,
2: My second favorite. (laughs) so, Mm.
1: So now we're into the 1900s. Now, by the turn of the 20th century into the 1900s, you now had these tales of Martian invasions making their way into the minds of the general public. Um, This was a theme that was starting to bubble up and become more and more popular in fiction. Uh, Science fiction was also starting to build off of previous works like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which we also covered.
2: Episode number 36, if you want to check that one out.
1: And, And science fiction was starting to carve out a genre all to itself. Now, in reality, advances in science were on a spectacular rise. In 1905, Albert Einstein published his groundbreaking theory of special relativity, and later in 1915, his theory on general relativity. And this is an important piece of the puzzle because this transformed theoretical physics and astronomy during the 20th century, uh, replacing the 200-year-old theory of mechanics made popular by Isaac Newton. So this replaced that, making Isaac Newton look like a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: i mean not many people can go up against albert you know (laughs) hey
1: there's few We'll, we'll get to that in our albert einstein episode now now by the 20th century You had ideas in science that had been the norm for 200 years being replaced. This was a spectacular time in the world of science. And in the field of physics, these theories on relativity improved the science of elementary particles and their fundamental interactions, along with helping to usher us in to the nuclear age. Now, airplanes also took to the skies in 1900s. And by the 1930s, Jack Parsons and the rest of his crew were breaking into early years of rocket research with things like jet-assisted takeoff, the formation of the Jet Propulsions Laboratory, and Caltech, uh, both of which pioneered rocket science here in the U.S. We also covered this in depth.
2: Check out episode number 44 and 45 for a full dive
1: on this. And so... Space exploration, while still decades away in reality, was starting to seem not that far out of reach. Um, Now, that brings us into 1942, um, Battle of Los Angeles. Now, we've been requested to do a full episode on this. uh, And from what I could find, I don't believe this is any sort of like, I don't know, alien... um, or UFO, or has anything to do with the phenomenon. From what I could find, the incident occurred less than three months after the U.S. entered World War II following the Japanese surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. And I I gather that it was a false alarm due to mostly anxiety and war nerves triggered by a lost weather balloon and kind of exaggerated by stray flares and shell bursts from adjoining ships and batteries. Basically, like from what i read about it this weather they lost control of this weather balloon everyone was already on edge because of pearl harbor the us is in this war people really thought that the japanese could launch a mainland invasion of the west coast and they just kind of fired at will at this, at this weather balloon. Now, UFO researchers have kind of taken the image and said, you know, this isn't a weather balloon. This is a fucking alien craft. They're covering it up. And it does fit with the later theme of the government just saying every fucking encounter is a weather balloon, you know?
2: It usually is a weather balloon.
1: Right, right. Um, now, now, that'll bring us into the Foo Fighters of World War II. Uh, So the term Foo Fighters was used by Allied pilots of World War II to describe various UFOs or mysterious aerial phenomenon seen in the skies over both the European and Pacific theaters of the war. Now, early reports date to 1940, but formally these UFOs were reported from November of 1944 on. Now, the most widely known sightings were among the airmen of the 415th Night Fighter Squadron, Badass. And Foo Fighters were presumed by witnesses to be secret weapons employed by the enemy. And there have been many other explanations put forth. However, the true nature of the Foo Fighters of World War II does remain a mystery. Uh, This is, again, another another topic we have covered in depth.
2: Check out episode number 27 if you want to find out more about this one. About these foos,
1: <laughs> yes, the Foo Fighters, dude. Foos gone wild over here. Um, now, sp- Dave Grohl. Now, speaking of these mystery enemy weapons, that brings us to Die Glock. Um, so, have have you guys ever heard of this? Hell no. It sounds like a fucking rapper. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, German rapper Die Glock. Um, <laughs> it actually does. <laughs> oh, So Die Glock, a.k.a. the Bell, was a supposed top secret scientific technological device, secret weapon, or Wunderwaffe, developed in 1940s Nazi Germany. Engineered by Nazi scientists, this was said to be a glowing, rotating contraption rumored to have some kind of anti-gravitational effect, possibly be a time machine or part of an SS anti-gravity program uh, for a German-engineered flying saucer. Now, it is believed that the scientists and technicians who worked on the bell and who did not die of its effects were wiped out by the SS at the close of the war, and the device was moved to an unknown location. Now, Kurt Debus, Werner von Braun, and Walter (laughs) Gerlach were also alleged sound pretty german <laughs> yeah these guys are all nazis uh, they were also allegedly involved in Die Glock research and Die Glock was claimed to have been organized under a division of the Waffen SS and operated mainly at facilities in Lower Silesia which i believe is modern day Poland now Die Glock was conceived in early 1942 and active ins- experimentation began in mid 1944 so kind of lines up with the Foo Fighter sightings. Now, it has also been proposed that SS official Hans Kammler later secretly traded this technology to the U.S. military in exchange for his freedom. And I was looking into this. I mean, there's quite the rabbit hole you can find yourself in looking into his alleged death. You know, he's another one of these Nazis that kind of no one really can pinpoint his exact death, but he's believed to die sometime after the war trying to escape in Poland or some shit. Um, And again, from reading into this, I gather that Die Glock is is mostly in the realm of full-on conspiracy theory, but there is an eerily similar connection to a case that will pop up a few decades later. So we're coming up on the end of World War II. Uh, In July of 1945, the world would never be the same again as humanity would fully enter the nuclear age. On July 16th, 1945, as part of the Manhattan Project headed by J. Robert Oppenheimer, this group of scientists would build off of Einstein's earlier theories, putting them into practice to successfully create and detonate the world's first Nuclear weapon.
2: Check out episode number 58 if you'd like to know more about this.
1: Yep, we also covered that in our Manhattan Project episode. Now, on the 6th and 9th of August 1945, the United States would put these atomic weapons to use against the Japanese. And since the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, nuclear weapons have been detonated over 2,000 times for testing and demonstration purposes. And, you know, many theorize that this led to our next era of discussion, known as the golden era of UFO phenomenon, as humanity now held the very power that could lead to its own demise and possibly disrupt more than we know within the fabric of space-time.
3: That's actually a pretty crazy... I I just made that, that connection just now, the fact that you know, Oppenheimer and the Manhattan project had created the atomic weapon at the end of world war two. You know, the, the atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki signaled the end of world war two. But that's kind of when we first started seeing kind of more official reports and people kind of paying more attention and talking about the stuff. It's kind of like the root of where this phenomenon started to really take place or start to happen. So it's, Really it' fascinating. It's really fascinating to think about that connection there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like a classic motif within UFOlogy that like, hey, obviously we still don't fully understand a lot about like quantum mechanics and a micro level of like these quarks and protons and how all that shit interacts. And so we're we're using this as a fucking bomb who... A lot of people argue humanity wasn't even ready to have that kind of power. We're setting this shit off two thousand fucking times, and we don't even know the full ramifications. Maybe that's where all the fucking aliens are coming from,
3: right? Know? And I mean, all these we've all heard—maybe not all have heard—but people that are paying attention to this phenomenon are interested in it. Um, we've heard about those Air Force guys out, you know, at the the uh, nuclear facility in out west somewhere. These things just pop up. You know, around over these nuclear facilities, and I definitely think that there's a connection there, maybe.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Many people do now. Now post. So now we get into the post-war sightings, the golden era of UFOs. It's called. Um, we're
2: not. We're not thinking. Maybe just a weather balloon happened to be floating over. I mean, times. perhaps you know, uh, <laughs>
1: perhaps maybe perhaps that's the case. Um, Quite now possibly. It's most widely agreed upon that the modern UFO era began on June 24th, 1947, when a private aviator named Kenneth Arnold spotted a loose formation of nine flying saucers near Mount Rainier, Washington, while flying a Call Air A-2.
2: Check out episode number 31 for the full story.
1: Yes, uh, basically the gist of it is uh, Kenneth reported that he had... that. These saucers took on the shape of of boomerangs or tailless manta rays. And in his estimation, they moved at two to three times the speed of sound. He described their motion to a local reporter as as that of a, quote, saucer that skipped over water. And the newspaper headline dubbed them, quote,
3: flying saucers.
1: (laughs) Coining the popular term that would become a staple in UFO sightings for years to come. Now, July of 1947, we get probably the most popular UFO story of all time with the Roswell incident, uh, which has been covered heavily. I think most people know the story there. Something crashed in the New Mexico desert that summer. Roswell Army Airfield was quick to report evidence of a retrieved flying saucer before retracting the story, stating the crash object was merely you guessed it, a conventional weather balloon.
2: Check out episode number 59 for the breakdown
1: on this one, guys. Yes, now, hoax or not, we know from our MJ-12 episode that this alleged group, MJ-12, was formed... Alleged. Alleged, was formed shortly after the Roswell incident to facilitate recovery and investigation of alien spacecraft.
2: Tune in to episode number 116 if you guys want to check this one out.
1: Yes, now by September of 1947, incoming reports of sightings had become too common for the Air Force to ignore. That month, in a classified memo, Lieutenant General Nathan F. Twining advised the commanding general of the armed forces that, quote,
2: The phenomenon reported is something real and not visionary or fictitious.
1: Now the Twining memo, which has since gained legendary status among ufologists, Put forth concerns that some foreign rival, perhaps the Soviet Union, had made an unimaginable technological breakthrough, and so Project Sign was initiated to investigate.
2: Is this guy? Is this guy of any relation to the T Company?
1: T Company, uh, twi- is Twining a T? Yeah. I thought that was. I thought that was something else. I do not um. know if he is the heir to the to the T fortune, the T empire. you were thinking Uh, you wouldn't have thought that i don't believe so um so by the end of 1947 at least 850 similar domestic sightings had been reported gordon atwater an astronomer at hayden planetarium attributed the flurry of reports to a combination of quote mild case of meteorological jitters and mass hypnosis so 1948 About a year after the Arnold sighting, two pilots in an Eastern Airlines DC-3 saw a large cigar-shaped light speeding towards them at a tremendous velocity before making an impossibly sharp turn and vanishing into a clear sky. A pilot in a second plane and a few witnesses on the ground gave accounts that seemed to corroborate this, and it was the first time that a UFO had been observed at close range. The two pilots describe seeing rows of windows as it streaked past. Now, three years later, in 1951, the sci-fi hit The Day the Earth Stood Still was released. Now, this is one of the first notable examples of Hollywood's depiction of the UFO phenomenon, the, the plot involves the alien Klaatu traveling to earth in order to deliver an important message to world leaders, which is
0: live peacefully or be destroyed as a danger to other planets.
1: So there we have that theme kind of coming in from the atomic age. Like we were talking about with the nuclear weapons. We see that theme bubbling up in pop culture. Um, now july of 1952 the day the earth stood still nearly came to life as a fleet of ufos were reportedly spotted in washington dc violating restricted airspace over the white house headlines in the new york times reported quote
3: flying objects near washington spotted by both pilots and radar
1: air force reveals reports of something perhaps saucers traveling slowly but jumping up and down Now, the Air Force essentially played down this incident. They told newspapers that no defensive measures had been taken, uh, but it later came to light that the military had in fact scrambled jets to intercept whatever this craft was. Now, Major General John Samford, the Air Force's Director of Intelligence, held the largest press conference since the end of World War II. Now, With the uh, Washington case in general, we did do an episode on this as well. For a complete
2: breakdown, check out episode number 76.
1: So now we're well into the sort of Cold War paranoia age. Uh, You know, by January of 1953, the CIA secretly prepared an advisory group of experts led by Howard P. Robertson, a mathematical physicist from Caltech. This became known as the Robertson panel, which determined not that we were being visited by UFOs, but that we were being flooded with too many UFO reports. So that's sound logic, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's so that's weird.
1: (laughs) Now, this became a real problem, according to the panel. Uh, because they said, you know, if, if notices of genuine invasions over U.S. territory could be lost in the sauce in these kooky hallucinations or whatever they thought UFOs were, there could be dire consequences for national security. Uh, for example, Soviet spy planes, they thought, could possibly operate undetected. Uh, Cold War paranoia made it crucial that the U.S. government be perceived That is an important word there, perceived to have full control over its airspace. So it's almost like, do they even really care if they had full control? Or did did the U.S. just want illusion of full control?
2: Well, it's pretty obvious by the weather balloon, the actual quote unquote weather balloon that flew over the United States that it's pretty much just the illusion of control.
1: Okay, so, yeah, this is where we kind of maybe start seeing like uh, differing opinions in Washington. You know, I think there were still some guys that were like, hey, there's there's something to some of these. And then a lot of guys were just so wrapped up in the Cold War paranoia that they're like, hey, we cannot lose. We cannot lose control of our airspace, at least in the public's mind.
3: And also, you have to remember, too. There's such a stigma surrounding this topic. I mean, even back then. Right, but at this point,
1: like the Robertson panel is just off the ground, so I don't think the stigma was as strong as as we'll see. I don't think by this point it was as strong as it is maybe now.
3: Um, oh, okay. I see what you're saying.
1: I think there still was. like That's what I was saying. You had this butting of heads because some guys were saying, hey, there's something to this, but a lot of guys in Washington were like, Guys, come on. This is fucking nonsense. We can't be looking into this. We got to focus on, on our enemy, the Reds, the commies, you know? This is well, like I McCarthyism. Mean,
3: right. And if you if you think about Roswell and the fact that the Air Force, and we'll get into Project Blue Book here in a second, but, you know, how the Air Force ended up covering it up and just saying it was a weather balloon. Um, As they do. Right. Right, it's right.
1: Just, but- Maybe behind the curtains, there were guys that were genuinely looking into this. Like, if MJ12 is real, this was a concern to the higher ups.
3: Well, I guess, I guess, kind of the reason why I brought up Roswell was just, in my opinion, I feel like that was kind of the start of the stigma. It's like, right, oh, it was right. just a weather balloon.
1: And yeah, and if we do go with MJ-12 is legitimate and there's factions of the government that are keeping this secret, that's all they're kind of, um, they're doing, you know, they want to downplay this to the public and say, hey, nothing to see here while we look at this technology and, uh, go fuck yourself, you know?
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> now... Now, in order to take more control over the flood of reports, the Robertson panel recommended that, quote, the
2: national security agencies take immediate steps to strip the unidentified flying objects of the special status they have been given and the aura of mystery they have unfortunately acquired.
1: Now, the panel also suggested that civilian UFO groups be infiltrated and monitored and enlisted the media in in the debunking effort. Uh, This campaign steamed on for years, culminating in a 1966 TV special,
3: UFO, friend, foe, or fantasy.
1: Now, in this special, CBS anchorman Walter Cronkite promptly placed UFOs into the third category, fantasy. Now, also at this time, Vice Admiral Roscoe Hillencotter, the first director of the CIA, and alleged MJ-12 member, told a Times reporter, quote,
2: Behind the scenes, high-ranking Air Force officers are soberly concerned about the UFOs, but through official secrecy and ridicule, many citizens are led to believe the unknown flying objects are nonsense.
1: So... Again, just like we were saying, Billy, it seems like there is different differing opinions on the Hill in D.C. You know, you had guys like Hill and Carter who were saying, "Hey, there's something to this." Then you had the Robertson panel saying, "We gotta, we gotta nip this in the butt. UFOs cannot be seen as like some crazy space alien shit. We got to downplay their significance, make them seem like some kooky crackpot theories.
3: Exactly. They're nothing more than weather balloons, guys. They've been doing it since day one, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Nothing to see here. Go ahead and fuck yourself.
3: Been
2: planning it for years. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Now, 1961 to 1966, so around this same time period, you had the Betty and Barney Hill abduction saga unfolding. This was the first mainstream abduction report in the U.S., and again, this is a topic that we have covered.
2: Make sure you check out episode number 113 for more on Betty and Barney Hill.
1: Now, in these early years, uh, the government had one public repository for UFO reports, and that was Project Blue Book which was a continuation of Project Sign, which operated out of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton, Ohio. Also, the alleged location in which two separate airplanes were theorized to have flown the wreckage of the Roswell crash, specifically to Hangar 18 in Area B. Now, again, that probably lives more in the realm of conspiracy theory, or perhaps that's just what the government wants us to think.
2: Is that the Hanger from Tony Hawk's Pro Skater?
1: I believe it was possibly <laughs> inspired by that. It's also in a Megadeth song, isn't it? Don't they have a song, Hanger 18?
2: I think so. Oh, uh,
1: okay. Not now, too big on them. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit more of a Metallica <laughs> guy. Um, now, Blue Book was a poorly funded division run by a series of low-ranking officers who would have likely preferred any other job. Uh, the program's only continuous presence and its only in-house scientist was Ohio State astronomer J. Allen Heinick, a UFO skeptic and former member of the Robertson panel. Now, initially, Heinick took a common-sense approach. Uh, however, he would later write, quote,
2: I felt the lack of hard evidence justified the practical, it-just-can't-be attitude.
1: Now, 95% of supposed UFOs really did seem to have a logical explanation. For example, uncommon clouds, weather balloons, atmospheric temperature inversions, um, luminous orbs could be attributed to Venus, silent triangles could be connected to classified military technology. As we've discussed on many previous episodes, the U 2 spy plane and SR 71 Blackbird were often reported as UFOs, and this confusion was embraced by the counterintelligence community in order to keep these projects secret. Um, however, the remaining 5%, despite the government's best efforts, could not be explained.
3: Could not be explained, therefore, not aliens.
1: (laughs) Right. Now, beginning on March 14th, 1966, more than 100 witnesses in and around Dexter, Michigan, reported seeing glowing lights and large football shapes at low altitudes. Um, Now, this was possibly uh, the invention of those glow-in-the-dark Nerf footballs that kids were playing with. In 1966 <laughs> i'm kidding i'm just trying to you know i'm being the government here explaining this stuff
2: away um now it's these damn kids out there with the nerf footballs. <laughs> yeah,
1: these goddamn nerf footballs are causing mass hysteria uh, <laughs> now heineck arrived to investigate and he would discover a community in a state of quote near hysteria At a press conference on March 25th, under pressure to avoid more widespread panic, Heineck attributed some of the sites to the moon and the stars and others to spontaneous combustion of decomposing vegetation or swamp gas. Now, the people of Michigan took this as an insult. And swamp gas would become a common term in UFO circles uh, for the government's patronizing attitude and efforts to cover up the phenomenon. Now, Gerald Ford, a native of Grand Rapids and at the time the House Majority Leader, called for congressional hearings, saying, "quote
2: In the firm belief that the American public deserves a better explanation than thus far given by the Air Force."
1: So right here i mean congressional hearings gerald ford who would go on to become president is calling for this stuff this is not all that different from what seems to be going on on capitol hill today right
3: yeah it's the exact same thing this is true it's pretty crazy
1: right i mean you've got this guy who's the house majority leader saying hey this isn't a fucking sound explanation it's not a fucking nerf football (laughs) it's not swamp gas what the fuck are we doing here um Now, in in his testimony before the House Armed Services Committee, J. Allen Hynek recommended that an independent body be set up to evaluate the merits of Project Blue Book and finally settle the question of UFO legitimacy. So right here, guys, we're going to get an answer. Now, in 17 years, Blue Book had reviewed approximately 12,000 cases. 700 of them still remained unexplained.
3: That's a decent amount, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just like what we're seeing today with Arrow. Aren't they saying like, hey, we got like 800 cases. Can't explain 100 of them or some shit like that?
3: Yeah, but my, I don't know. I don't know about Arrow, honestly.
1: <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get, we'll to get that. into we'll that. Get to that. We'll get into Let's that. Let's jump ahead. Now, on December 9th, 1965, in the rural town of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania just southeast of Pittsburgh, an object the size of a Volkswagen Beetle was allegedly hurled out of the sky. According to multiple witnesses, the acorn or bell-shaped object had been removed from the woods on a flatbed truck as service members guarded the area with guns. Now, interesting point here, some 40 years later, Leslie Keen, who broke the 2017 New York Times article, She filed a Freedom of Information Act request, a FOIA request for NASA files, including some that she believed contained information about the debris that was retrieved from Kentucky all those years ago. Now, NASA claimed that the relevant records had gone missing in 1987. Convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Now, again,
2: I'm looking over my reports here and uh, it seems like they just got lost somewhere around 1987.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not seeing that at all in our records. Uh, So once again, go fuck yourselves coming from NASA. And, you know, with the fucking bell shape object, do we see a die glock connection here? Is this possibly where the fucking Nazi secret fucking UFO anti-gravity device wound up?
3: Holy Christ. In Kentucky? Doubt it possibly i mean they got they got good bourbon there you know
1: <laughs> maybe they're just drinking too much bourbon exactly um it was just it was a, a drunk bourbon barrel hurtling
3: <laughs> through the sky a drunk
1: <laughs> a drunk driver uh, b- drove his volkswagen beetle off the road
3: yep that explains it
1: okay now moving along in late 1966 edward u condon a physicist at the University of Colorado, was given $300,000 to conduct another Robertson panel-type study. Another one. Yes. Now, as we saw in our last episode, the study seemed to have its conclusions from the start, as this panel was primarily interested in the psychology and social circumstances of UFO believers. Now, in other words, sightings the This gentleman thought that sightings should be understood as metaphors for Cold War anxiety and naivety about technology at the time. Now, the thousand-page Condon report, as it became known, was completed in late fall of 1968, and of the 91 Blue Book cases selected for examination, 30 of them still remained official mysteries. Now, Condon, uh, this gentleman announced long before the study was complete that UFOs were complete horse shit and not not in those exact (laughs) words. Um, But, you know, this guy was a skeptic and, you know, he summarized the report in the conclusions and recommendations section where he said, quote,
2: careful consideration of record as it is available to us leads us to conclude that further extensive studies of UFOs probably cannot be justified in the expectation that science will be advanced thereby.
1: Now school night, like we said last episode, school children he advised should not be given credit for work involving UFOs and scientists should take their talents and money elsewhere. UFOs were unidentified by definition, but the Condon report licensed scientists and officials to look the other way now by 1969 the u.s succeeded in its mission to put a man on the moon by the decade's end and space travel along with the exploration of whole other worlds finally became a reality now again we covered this in our moon landing episodes
2: Check out episodes 65 and 66 for more information on the moon landing.
1: Now, Project Blue Book would be shut down in January of 1970. And two years later, Heineck published The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry, where he essentially bashed Blue Book and the Condon Report and provided his vision on a blueprint for systematic research. Uh, Blue Book's goal, he wrote, had not been to try to explain UFOs, but rather to explain them away. And the Condon report, he wrote, focused on disproving any conjecture about alien spaceships was even worse. What was instead required in Heinick's mind was an agnostic approach, not one focused on extraterrestrial craft or the weather or Venus, but would only go where the science led them. Much like is still being advocated for today, you see these guys up on the hill saying, "Hey, we need a we need a, a solid um, agency that can study these kind of things scientifically, right?"
3: Yeah, not only that, but Avi Loeb, um, you know, he's one of the f- front runners and kind of one of the scientists out there that's really pushing studying this phenomena, and he's always said that, right? Like, and and the episode that we spoke on about the science last episode. Um, that's all. It sounds like he has the same mindset as Hynek. It's like, I'm not going to be biased one way or the other. I'm going to be completely agnostic to any possibility and be open to any conclusion.
1: Right. Because like we've seen, there seems to be this butting of heads. And a lot of the guys in Washington are saying, hey, we need to downplay this. We need to fucking cover it up. Or we need to say this isn't important. And some of these scientists are trying to say, no, we we should be looking at this. We just shouldn't be trying to disprove it. Now, Heineck himself like we said, started out on the Robertson panel. He was a a pure skeptic um, who eventually turned believer working on Blue Book. Uh, He would go on to start an independent organization to continue his research. But sadly, poor went out for him as he died at age 75 in 1986 without having altered the course of public opinion. So that brings us to the end of the golden era, the initial wave, we'll call it. And so, at this point, after nearly 13 years, the Robertson panel had finally succeeded in its mission. The golden age of official investigations, congressional hearings, press conferences, independent scientific study, powerful citizen groups, best selling books, and magazine cover stories had come to an end. The public's opinion, it seemed, had finally shifted on the topic as a whole, and UFOs would have no place. In serious scientific studies, but rather be exiled to the world of fiction, fantasy, and crackpot theories.
3: Yeah, uh, sounds about right. I mean, we're trying to get over the stigma that we're experiencing right now. That you know, you got guys like George Knapp and and the whistleblowers. We'll get into later. Uh, but I think people need to take this stuff more seriously, right? And
1: yeah, I mean, you can see. In the history we've just covered, this was a decades long goal of the government to kind of delegitimize this stuff. Now, despite the efforts by the government, the phenomenon didn't go away. Reports, while maybe reduced overall, would continue to be made. Now, in 1976, um, we have the Iran sighting where Major Parvis Jafari. Uh, squadron commander in the Iranian air force was dispatched in an F4 jet to intercept a glowing diamond outside terrain near the Soviet border. Uh, Jafari said as he approached the object, it was flashing with intense red, green, orange, and blue lights so bright that I was not able to see the body of the craft. His weapons and radio communications were some say jammed or possibly failed as these were like faulty old jets that uh, weren't really like upkept all that well. Now American intelligence sources in Iran described the incident in a classified four page memo to Washington and in, a, in an assessment attached to the memo written by Colonel Ro- Colonel Roland Evans he said quote
2: An outstanding report. This case is a classic which meets all the criteria necessary for a valid study of the UFO phenomenon.
1: Now, I don't know about you guys, but that quote seems to be an opinion that is few and far between if the government is saying they aren't interested in this topic and actively spending money to debunk it. Now, like I said, there's some conflicting opinions on this one, um, with like the faulty, um, The faulty planes and they're saying maybe that was why the communications failed uh but i think this is an interesting case and you know look it up if you have time it's still an important case and still possibly a mystery now november of 1977 one year later close encounters of the first kind was released often holding the top spot for one of the best ufo movies of all time so again this topic finds its way into pop culture blending the line further between reality and fiction uh jay allen hynek even served as a scientific advisor on the film uh and he said quote
2: even though the film is fiction it's based for the most part on the known facts of the ufo mystery
1: now i was looking further into this i thought this was interesting um NASA reportedly sent a 20-page letter to Steven Spielberg, the director of the film, telling him that releasing the film was dangerous. Now, I thought that was pretty interesting, but I guess like I was looking more into this and it kind of could be blown out of proportion because nobody's actually seen the 20-page letter and Spielberg just said this in an interview perhaps to bolster the film, you know, get people more interested saying, hey, if NASA is saying don't release this, they're onto something here. Um, But I think from what I gather, it could be like uh, NASA, like think about Jaws. He released Jaws, this huge blockbuster hit, giant shark. People were scared, were scared not even to go in the, not only to go in the ocean, but people were scared to like go in pools in their bathtubs when that movie came out. So NASA's concern was maybe that people are just going to start again flooding the fucking government with ufo reports if he releases this movie so maybe dangerous in that sense not necessarily that steven spielberg is is um letting the public in on some crazy ufo mystery um i don't know i mean what do you guys think
3: yeah that that makes sense um who knows if they actually sent the letter to spielberg but that does sound like something that they would i mean especially if they're trying to control the narrative right which they've proven to do multiple <laughs> times in our past and probably currently now
1: and 20 pages is quite the effort i mean and and you know this might not have been like officially nasa it's not like the nasa pr team sent this to him maybe it was just some guy on <laughs> his on his lunch break writing on nasa letterhead or some shit you know
2: yeah or Hey, buddy, maybe I uh, don't put this uh, movie out. <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah. just
1: like, God damn it. I don't want to deal with fucking a bunch of bullshit UFO reports all summer. Um, now, just a few years later, 1979, Ridley Scott's legendary film franchise launched with the release of Alien, which we also covered in a previous episode.
2: Check out episodes number 24 and 25 if you want to know more about this film.
1: And one year later, in 1980, we get the Randlesham Forest incident. Now, this this is one of the bigger, more crazy incidents. Um, There's a lot of info with this one, and it will most likely get its own episode in the future. Um, But you know, the short is that this incident occurred in England in 1980, uh, eventually taking on the name of Britain's Roswell. Uh, You know, this has everything from like depression marks audio recordings, which we'll hear in a minute here, Um, photographic evidence. This is is a classic UFO case um, where several Air Force officers claim to have observed a UFO at close range just outside of RAF, Bentwaters in Randlesham Forest. Now, the deputy base commander, Lieutenant Charles Holt, made an audio recording um, where he seems to have observed a UFO. Um, now I have a clip here which I will play. I will play this for you guys and take a listen because this is pretty interesting.
4: This fragmentation. You just saw a light up Where? Yeah, Where? 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 Right at this position here, straight ahead, in between the tr- there. It is again. Watch straight ahead off my flash right there. Yeah, there it is. Hey, I see it too. What is it? I do sir. So yeah, can I get some oh, Yeah, it's a strange, small red light. Looks beyond maybe a quarter to a half mile, maybe further out. I'm going to switch off. The all light is gone now. It was approximately 120 degrees from the site. Is it back again? Yes, sir. Oh, does flashlight set? Let's move out to the edge of the clearing so we can get a better look at it. See if you can get the star scope on it. The light's still there, and all the barnyard animals have gotten quiet now. Yeah, we're heading about 110 to 120 degrees from the site. i through to the clearing now. Still getting a reading on the meter. About two clicks. Meter's dropped three to four clicks. Getting stronger. Now it's dying. Now it's dying. I think it's something other than the ground. I think it's something that's something variable here. We just smoked the first night bulb we've seen. We're about 150 or 200 yards from the site. Everything else is just deathly calm. There is no doubt about it. There's some type of strange flashing red light ahead. There's yellow. I saw a yellow tinge in it too. Weird. It appears to be maybe moving a little bit this way. It's, it's brighter than it has been. Yellow? It's coming this way. It is definitely coming this way. Pieces of it are shooting off. There is no doubt about it. This is weird. To the left. Yeah, definitely left. Two, two lights. Two one way. light to the and one light to the left. Keep the flashlights off. There's something very, very strange. Get the headset on see if it gets any stronger. Don't. Okay. Give us some... Give us the rotation down. is on the beta reading, too. It's on a beta the beta reading? Okay. it still has been removed. Okay. This is falling off it again. But it just moved to the right. Yeah. Off the right. Okay, we're looking at the thing. We're probably about two to three hundred yards away. It looks like an eye winking at you. It's still moving from side to side. And when you put the star scoop on it, it, it sort, sort of has a hollow center, a dark center. It's, it's, yeah, like the pupil of an eye looking at you and winking. And the flash is so bright to the starscope that uh, it almost burns your eye. We passed the farmer's house and crossed into the next field. Now we have multiple sightings of up to five lights with a similar shape and all, but they seem to be steady now rather than a pulsating or glow with a red flash. We just crossed the, the creek and uh, we're getting what kind of readings? notes, getting through three good clicks on the meter and we're seeing strange lights in the sky. We're both heading north. Hey, here, here, he comes from the south. He's coming toward us now. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. This is unreal. 3.30, 330, and the objects are still in the sky, although the one to the south looks like it's losing a little bit of altitude. We're turning around and heading back toward the
1: the base. The object object
4: to the south is still beaming down lights to the ground
3: very
1: very weird very spooky stuff we got going on here um, now another witness sergeant james pennison he said that he got close enough to a silent triangular craft to feel its electric charge and to note the hieroglyphic like designs etched into its surface
3: egypt all makes sense now see the <laughs> egyptians just yeah they they learned it from the ancient astronauts bro
1: well, didn't they essentially just find the pyramids, or is that full on conspiracy?
3: that's full on conspiracy that that's definitely just a conspiracy theory from what I understand. I'm hearing
1: this this is like new in Egyptology, like the Egyptians basically they're dating the pyramids like way further back to where the civilization would have built them, which throws a whole wrench into the fucking Hebrews story of building them as slaves but I mean... You ever
2: watch Prince of Egypt, dude? Come on. (laughs)
1: Dude. Exactly. That's a different episode for a different day. But this is, in and of itself, a weird sighting nonetheless, so we'll add it to the list. Now, May of 1989, the alien pimp himself, Bob Lazar, appeared in an interview with investigative reporter George Knapp on Las Vegas TV station KLAS under the pseudonym Dennis. Dennis with his face hidden, to discuss his alleged employment at S4, and this whole thing helped to popularize the government reverse engineering craft ideas, top secret government alien programs, which had been discussed by many Roswell conspiracy guys, people like John Lear, before this time. Um, But none of those exploded in popularity or got as much press coverage as the infamous Bob Lazar story, which... We covered in extensive detail.
2: Check out episode number one hundred eleven for more on Bob Lazar.
1: Now, in nineteen ninety-two, Blink one hundred and eighty-two is formed, headed by frontman Tom DeLong. Now, this will come into play later. Um, now, nineteen ninety-three to two thousand two, <laughs> the X Files made its initial run. So once again, you find common ideas that have been buzzing in UFO and conspiracy circles for decades, finding their way into mainstream pop culture. As this show was a massive hit, originally spanning nine seasons and two franchise films, its impact on sci-fi and alien lore cannot be ignored. And again, we covered this over a span of three episodes.
2: Check out episodes 33, 34, and 35 for our full breakdown on the X-Files.
1: Now, by 2004, we get the Nimitz encounter. Now, although this was not brought to light until more than a decade after the initial encounter, um, we're going in somewhat of an order here, so we'll pop this in here. Now, the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was conducting routine training operations, in restricted waters off the coast of San Diego and Baja, California, in November of 2004, when the advanced SPY-1 radar on the USS Princeton began to register some anomalous activity. Whatever the activity was, was logging as high as 80,000 feet and as low as the ocean's surface. After about a week of radar operations, Commander David Fravor, a graduate of the top gun fighter pilot school and the commanding officer of the black aces was sent on a mission to investigate as he approached the location. He looked down and saw a white oval object that resembled a large tic tac. He estimated it to be about 40 feet long with no wings or other obvious flight surfaces and no visible signs of propulsion. It appeared to bounce around like a ping pong ball and two other pilots, one seated behind him and one in a nearby plane, gave similar accounts. Fravor descended to chase the object, which seemed to react to his maneuver before suddenly departing at high speeds. Upon Fravor's return to the Nimitz, another pilot, Chad Underwood, was dispatched to follow up with more advanced sensory equipment. His aircraft's targeting pod recorded a video of the object. The famous clip, now known as FLIR-1, short for forward-looking infrared, is a one-minute, 16-second clip of a blurry dot. In the final few seconds, the dot appears to outwit the fleer track and made a rapid getaway. This is the fucking classic image right here that we've seen over and over. It appeared in the New York Times article, the Tic Tac Encounter. Now, to this day, as far as the public knows, the Tic Tac is unexplained. And so, once again, we add this to the pile of mystery
3: what's interesting about um david fravor too is i i think it was i don't remember where I, where i was watching it but i watched an in- interview with him and he essentially said that he was not treated as bad uh from like the government you know what i mean like as as we'll go into some like yeah. david grush here in a bit um, David Grush was kind of treated, obviously, very poorly. Um, but David Fravers actually been met with decent praise. Uh, so it's just interesting to see that. Wasn't he saying
1: that in the hearings? Like his yeah, superior officers what or whatever didn't like ridicule him. They were just kind of like, yeah. hey, you know what the hell is this?" Because um, they
3: trusted him because he right, was a right. you know professional. I mean, and, commanding officer, uh, right? He's basically Tom Cruise. Right, yeah, he's, well, he's a maverick, dude.
2: Yeah. Let's not forget, guys, he's a Top Gun graduate, so he's dangerous. Yes, he is exactly. dangerous,
1: Ice Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so that brings us to 2006 with the Chicago sighting. This is known as the Chief Keef sighting. Um, <laughs> o <laughs> Block. Uh, no, so, so November 7, 2006, about 4 p.m., A revolving metallic disc was seen suspended nearly 1,900 feet above gate C-17 at Chicago's O'Hare Airport. Now, witnesses described the object hovering for several minutes before accelerating at an abrupt incline and leaving an almost perfect circle in the cloud layer where the craft had been. Now, when the Chicago Tribune published an account of the sighting, not a single witness was willing to go on record. However, the article became the most read piece on the newspaper's website up into that time. Initially, the FAA denied it had any information about the incident, but media pressure and FOIA requests brought to light a taped phone conversation between a United Airlines supervisor and an air traffic controller. I actually found the audio clip. So listen to this. This is fucking this is this is going to be some good content. Tower,
0: this is Dave. Hey, Dave, it's Sue from United Tower. Hey, Sue. Hey, did you see a flying disc out by C-17? Oh, uh, it didn't even start, Sue. No! <laughs> <laughs> you're seeing flying discs? Well, look at the pilot and the ramp guys are telling us that C-17. They saw some flying disc above, and we can't see. Come above on, us. You not see it, right? Hey, you, you, you guys been celebrating the holidays or there, or what? You having a Christmas party today? I haven't seen anything, Sue. And if I did, I wouldn't admit to it. No, I haven't seen any flying uh, escape gate C-7. Unless you got a new aircraft you're uh, bringing out today that we don't know about. No, I haven't seen anything, Sue. So. All right. If I do, I uh, I don't know what I'll do. <laughs> if I see it, I'll, I guess I'll back it up with you. But no, I'll, I'll keep an eye out. All right, bye. All right, then. I got Todd Dwight. Dwight. Yes. What happened to Dave? Did he have to take a break because I called him? No. This is Super United. Yes. Dude, there was a disc out there flying around. There was a what? A disc. A disc? Can you hang on one second? Sure do yes. okay. OK, I'm sorry. What, uh, what can I do for you now? Oh, yeah. All right. There was, I told Dave there was a disc flying outside above Charlie 17, and he thought I was pretty much high. But um, I'm not high, and I'm not drinking. Yeah. Someone actually has a picture of it. So if you guys see it out there. A disc. Like a frisbee, like a UFO type thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I have a picture oh, of How? How high above Charlie Seventeen? Well, it was above our tower. So, uh-huh. if you happen to see, see. Well, you know, what I'll,
1: I'll keep a peeled eye for that. All right. Okay. okay bye. <laughs> now, okay. So that's pretty funny, you know. This, these guys are basically like, uh, what would you say, like, writing her off?
3: Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> They're literally laughing well, at that. What do you see, yeah. a
1: disc out there, Sue? What are you doing over here there?
3: He's like, yeah, if I saw that, I definitely would admit to that. Oh, you're celebrating
1: Christmas early there? You're celebrating Christmas there, Sue. Let me, let me get back to my Bears game over here. Um, so, so, now this is interesting because the FAA later claimed that this must have been a hole-punch cloud. Which is a type of cloud perforated with a circular gap, which can occasionally appear in appear in below freezing temperatures. Now, meteorologists said it was much too warm that day for a hole punch cloud to occur. Um, and you know, like we said, this audio recording they had to get this for uh, by Freedom of Information Act. The FAA didn't automatically release this and this is at fucking chicago one of the busiest airports in the nation um you know also i'm thinking this is sometime around the holidays so you got kevin McAllister running through the airport with his family uh you know maybe he gets abducted by the ufo that's a good movie pitch i think kevin uh you know the aliens are like oh we forgot kevin we gotta abduct Kevin or something. And maybe he's setting up booby traps on the alien ship. That'd be a cool movie, right?
3: <laughs> That'd be awesome. Just have him be like his 38-year-old self. <laughs> like
2: Um Turns out the aliens have also abducted Harry and Marv.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And he That'd says, look, it's our old pal. Um okay, so yeah, uh, punk. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a weird sighting you know the so and apparently there's pictures that have not been released shit like that uh, i mean this is pretty crazy to have a sighting of that magnitude at a busy airport like chicago um and
2: kids are scared of ufos
1: right and so as this is still pretty much unexplained the chicago sighting added to the list of potential mysteries Now, 2007, we get the Channel Islands sighting. So, on Monday, April 23rd, 2007, an 18-passenger plane departed from Southampton, England on a routine flight to Alderney, uh, one of the Channel Islands. Now, the captain was Ray Bowery, Boyer, Ray Bowyer, Boyer. Ray, Ray Boyer. Um, he had been a professional pilot for 18 years. That particular day, the plane took off as scheduled and climbed through a layer of haze before reaching cruising altitude. At 2.06 p.m., he looked up to discover a gleaming yellow light directly ahead. He first thought that this was the sun reflecting off glass of a building below, but the light did not flicker. Bauer reached for his binoculars And at a magnification of 10 times, the yellow glow took on a long, thin cigar shape with sharp edges and pointed ends. It was stationary and radiated a brilliance that was, quote, difficult to describe. Now, moments later, he saw a second object, which appeared to move in formation with the first. The passenger seated behind him, whose name was not made public, reached forward to borrow the binoculars. Three rows back, Kate Russell an Alderney residence looked up from her book and she and her husband both saw the sunlight colored objects. Uh, when the flight landed in Alderney, uh, the pilot filed details with Britain's Civil Aviation Authority, uh, which has a mandatory occurrence report system, including a sketch of what he had seen in his own professional opinion. The objects were each about the size of a, quote, reasonably large town.
2: Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's
1: fucking insane. Now, <laughs> about
2: the size of a reasonably large town.
1: Now, local papers <laughs> made reference to the X Files, and the CAA refused to provide further information. A number of FOIA requests were filed, and a week after the sighting, the UK's Ministry of Defence concluded that because the flight position because the flight position reported was in French airspace a definitive identification was not the British government's problem. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that's a great Menian.
2: investigation. <laughs> Take uh, a couple uh, <laughs> tips from the U.S. government. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: Now, three weeks later, the British ministry released the available documentation, a packet that included corroborating radar data from air traffic controller on the nearby island of Jersey and a statement from a second commercial pilot in the vicinity who had seen the objects from a different direction. 10 months later, David Clark, a known UFO skeptic along with three collaborators, published the quote
3: report on aerial phenomena observed near the Channel Islands UK, April 23rd, 2007.
1: Now, this report was drafted in collaboration with dozens of experts, meteorologists, oceanographers, harbor masters, and the report concluded, quote
2: in summary, we are unable to explain the UAP sighting satisfactorily.
1: So, once again, the sighting cannot be explained. Even by a skeptic, which is rare.
2: It's outside of our jurisdiction, mate. <laughs> Not my exactly, problem. Uh, <laughs> um, that's bollocks. That's that's French airspace, mate. Can't explain it. We're gonna have to talk to the frogs to get more information <laughs> out of us. <laughs>
1: Now, the who frogs? are the frogs? Who are the what frogs? Are the frogs?
3: <laughs> French.
1: Is that what they call Wait, them? what? <laughs> yeah. That's a, uh, the, okay, like, I, I didn't had, know
3: that. I'd never known that French people... Well, no, French people are not frogs, but apparently this that's, is a term.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that all French people were frogs either, Billy.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. Perplexed me.
1: Now the world is full of weird phenomenon that can't be explained. The UFO problem we'll call it seems to fit into this category. Now simultaneously with the rise of independent UFO researchers and hardcore believers was the rise of yet another subgenre in the UFO field and they are known as non-believers or debunkers. So this group like we've seen with a ton of these cases we just looked at essentially plays the opposite role of the believer with an equally hard-lined approach in the way of skepticism. So just like many that find themselves fully believing anything posted on a blog or message board confirming the existence of aliens, the skeptics will cherry-pick and point to anything that could explain UFOs away. In other words, it seems as if they're on a mission to debunk UFOs at all costs. And furthermore, Hieldgrass, both. Tyson. <coughs> <Hieldgrass. laughs> yes, <coughs> I mean Sorry, I guess he would wrote. kind of fit in this category. Um, now, furthermore, both camps have a tendency to discount and overlook inconvenient facts when not aligned to the narrative they have chosen to subscribe to. So by this point, like we've already hit on a few times, it's becoming more and more clear that the U.S. government needed to have some sort of centralized UFO agency. The problem that had slowly been bubbling up in the U.S. for decades seemed to be that while there were initiatives driven by interested individuals or these independent UFO groups, there was no single official clearinghouse for noteworthy cases, at least not a public one. Now, many other countries, including the U.K., Denmark, Brazil, Russia and Sweden, had followed what the frogs in France did. And they had either <laughs> ribbit, de- ribbit. <laughs> they had either declassified or published their UFO files. Now, some countries like Peru and Chile even formed their own official organizations dedicated to the phenomenon. However, as we've seen, the US now faced the challenge of undoing 50 years of reinforcement of UFOs as folklore and pseudoscience. So it's almost like we were talking about with the Robertson panel and shit. Maybe the the government was covering up the craft that they had, but they kind of shot themselves in the foot with the scientific community because now they've got to basically backpedal. They spent all these years saying this shit is hogwash, it's bullshit, it's nothing to look into, and now they kind of have to, as we said, undo that stigma.
3: That's true, but that's only if they want to undo the stigma. And it's seeming like there are certain people within our government structure primarily the dod seemingly that that does not want disclosure
1: okay okay so maybe there's still some butting of the heads going on i mean like we said this is day one shit it's been going on since the beginning of the phenomenon
3: well it it's also pretty crazy to me too to see that other countries have established reporting you know like official reporting techniques cuz as we're going to get public into public information right public information um and, and just being more transparent with their you know the populace of the of the particular nation um we're really not following that track obviously
1: okay well how about this now enter to the picture a one robert bigelow you gentlemen remember this guy
2: absolutely unfortunately
1: I believe we got into a little bit of his background on our Skinwalker Ranch series. We did.
2: Check out episodes number 107 and 108 for more on Skinwalker Ranch.
1: Um, but I mean, you know, just kind of giving you the highlight. Um, so Bigelow, growing up in the Nevada desert during the early atomic age, uh, this was one of the few places that someone could see nuclear tests and rocket launches right in their own backyard. And this is where Bigelow's dreams of space exploration and his curiosity about UFOs was formed. Eventually, he amassed his fortune in real estate investment. He later founded his private company, Bigelow Aerospace. And in 1995, he established the National Institute for Discovery Science, which he privately funded as a way to research aerial phenomenon, cattle mutilations, and other related paranormal activity. Now, among the consultants at Bigelow Aerospace... How Putoff was hired. Um, his work in paranormal studies dates back decades to Project Stargate, which was a CIA program to investigate how remote viewing could be applied to Cold War espionage. We also covered this in an episode.
2: Check out episode number fifty-five for more information on that.
1: Now Bigelow himself eventually purchased Skinwalker Ranch, where Nids would continue the study of various phenomena reported all over the area. And in 2004, he shut down his institute, but he kept the ranch. Fast forward to 2007, Bigelow received a letter from a senior official at the DIA who was curious about Skinwalker. Uh, he connected him to an old pal from Nevada, Senator Harry Reid, who was then the Senate Majority Leader. And the two men met to discuss their interest in the UFO phenomena. Now, of course, from our Skinwalker Ranch series, we all know how this played out. And in 2008, um, the Supplemental Appropriations Bill uh, allotted $22 million of so-called black money to be set aside for a new program. Now enter the Pentagon. So the Pentagon was not enthusiastic. There were some government officials who believed this whole thing was a waste of money. Uh, but Reed continued to push the program along, despite many being worried that if this came to light, that the government was spending money on this, it would be a bad look. And we know the government hates to look bad. Yeah, <laughs> and, now, <obviously. laughs> and Now, the Advanced Aerospace Weapons System Application Program, or OSAP, was announced in a public solicitation for bids to examine the future of warfare. UFOs were not mentioned, but the subtext remained clear. Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Advanced Space Studies, or BAS, a Bigelow Aerospace subsidiary, was the only bidder. So with the government contract executed, Bigelow contacted the same team of paranormal investigators he worked with at NIDS, along with other participants being recruited directly from the Pentagon. In 2008, Luis Elizondo, a counterintelligence officer working in the office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, was also asked to join the program. The $22 million program produced little more than a series of 38 papers, all unclassified except one, about the kind of technology a UFO might exploit including work on the theoretical viability of warp drives and space-time metric engineering. Now, Bigelow's researchers became convinced that crash debris were being hidden in some remote hangar by some faction of the government, or perhaps a private defense contractor, and they wanted access to the government's classified data on UFOs. In June 2009, Senator Harry Reid filed a request that the program be awarded Restricted Special Access, or SAP, status. And the following month, Bass issued a 494-page, 10-month report. Now, there are portions of this report that were leaked to Tim McMillan and were almost exclusively about UFOs, and the information provided was not limited to just sightings. It also included a photo of an alleged tracking device that alleged aliens had allegedly implanted in an alleged abductee now november 2009 the defense department denied the request for sap status soon after elizondo was asked to head up the program Now, beginning in 2010, he turned what had started off as a study of Utah cryptids and other paranormal activity into the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP, which focused on the national security implications of military UAP encounters. Now, according to Elizondo, the program studied a number of incidents in depth, including what later became known as the Nimitz encounter, which we just looked at. And upon studying this case, along with other similar ones, Elizondo was convinced that UAPs were real, but the government's willingness to invest in studies of the phenomenon remained unclear. This led him to eventually leave the Pentagon altogether. Now, October 4th, 2017, at the request of Christopher Mellon, former Deputy Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, Leslie Keene was called to a meeting in a bar of an upscale hotel near the Pentagon. There, she met with Hal Putoff and Jem Simovin, a retired CIA officer who introduced her to Luis Elizondo. Now, over the next three hours, Keene was taken through documents that proved the existence of the first government inquiry into UFOs since the close of Project Blue Book in 1970. It seems that the program, which many ufologists had long suspected, was in fact legit. She immediately called Ralph Blumenthal, a former Time staffer who emailed Dean Baquette, Time's executive editor, to pitch a sensational and highly confidential Time-sensitive story in which senior U.S. intelligence official who abruptly quit last month had decided to expose a deeply secret program long mythologized but now confirmed. Of course, the Times agreed Saturday, December 16th, 2017. Her story was published, titled,
3: Glowing Auras in Black Money, The Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program.
1: So the article appeared on the front page accompanied by two videos, including the FLIR One, aka the Tic Tac, and the article's focus was not on the reality of UFOs, but instead on the existence of the covert studies. By the government. This article gained millions of hits and seemed to resurface the public's fascination with the UFO phenomenon. So this idea that the government cared about UFOs all the while dispelling any ideas that the phenomenon even existed seemed to set in motion a chain of events that gets us to where we are today. Now, after Elizondo resigned, he and other key ATIP participants, including Mellon, Putoff, and Simovin would join to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. This was an operation dedicated to UFO-related education, entertainment, and research organized by Blink-182 frontman Tom DeLong. Mm. Now, Elizondo announced that they were planning to provide never-before-released footage from real U.S. government systems, not blurry amateur photos, but real data, real videos. DeLong would later appear on Joe Rogan's podcast to discuss his beliefs in the phenomenon, which we all know turned out to be a disaster. Um,
3: (laughs) Yeah, hilarious.
1: (laughs) Well, not not really a
2: disaster, just more of a... He kind of played it how the government plays it. Oh, I can't really talk too much about this because it's not out yet.
1: But which I think at the time was a disaster. Like, you're saying, hey, we're running this company that's doing disclosure. And then he went on Rogan saying, like, I I can't say that. Uh, And, like, just sounded like a fucking rambling idiot, in my opinion. Now, I mean, you look at it in hindsight with all the shit coming out now, and you can be like, oh, Tom was right all along, but... I think, it, you know, going off this timeline, I think that was a disaster at the time.
2: I think there's actually a shirt available on his website now that literally <laughs> says Tom was right.
1: Well, that is to be determined.
3: That's, that's tight,
1: though. Hmm. Um, now, Elizondo went on to host the History Channel docuseries Unidentified, which we actually also covered in a mini-episode...
2: Our, uh, the mini episode is located between episodes 52 and 53, if you care to learn more about that.
1: Yeah, I believe it, we just titled it like Unidentified. It didn't have an official number. Mini episode. Um, check that out if you want. Now, Elizondo insisted that ATIP had made important strides in understanding UAP behavior. So this is where we kind of start to see the shifting of attitudes. Uh, Maybe the reversing of the stigma, we could call it. Uh, Because at the height of the Cold War, we saw that the government had worried that the flood of UFO reports, real or fake, might drown out signals relevant to national security or even provide cover for enemy aircraft. Now, fast forward to now, and the concern was that valuable intelligence wasn't being reported or at least not being paid attention to. Um, You know, as we saw, the Nimitz encounter didn't become the subject of official investigation until years after the incident, when the file seemingly by chance finally landed on the desk of someone who decided to give a shit and said, hey, we we (laughs) should, you know, take a look at this stuff. Um,
2: (laughs) They said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you trying to do your job over here, buddy? We don't do that around here.
1: Now at this point, the suits in Washington seem to agree that what we needed was some type of interagency program. Uh, you know, where a DoD guy can go to an FBI guy, an NRO guy. Um, everything we learned from the nine eleven commission. You know, this this thing had to be interagency, like we saw with the fucking Arrow hearings. Now, in April of 2019, the Navy revised its official guidelines for pilots, encouraging them to report UAPs without fear of ridicule. And in September, a spokesperson for the Navy announced that the FLIR-1 video, along with two videos associated with the sightings off the East Coast in 2015, showed, quote,
2: Incursions into our military training ranges by unidentified aerial phenomena.
1: Now, furthermore... The point of using the term UAP instead of UFO seemed to be to help remove this stigma that we've talked about for this whole episode. You know, at some point, the government just needed to admit, hey, there's something in the skies that we can't identify. Now, the government also has tried to make it clear that unidentified does not mean aliens. It just means there's something there. Now, according to Tim McMillan, in recent years, the Pentagon's UAP investigators have distributed two classified intelligence papers on secure networks that allegedly contain images and videos of bizarre spectacles, including a cube-shaped object with a large equilateral, equilateral triangle emerging from the ocean. In June of 2020, Senator Marco Rubio added text to the 2021 Intelligence Authorization Act requesting that the Director of National Intelligence, along with the Secretary of Defense, produce a detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomenon data and intelligence reporting. Now, this language, which allowed them 180 days to produce the report, drew heavily from proposals by Mellon. And it was clear at this point that this joint effort in theory was more productive and more cost-effective than the original version of ATIP. Now, Mellon has even gone on record saying, quote,
2: This creates an opening and an opportunity. And now the name of the game is to make sure that we don't miss that open window.
1: Now, in August of 2020, the Deputy Secretary of Defense, David Norquist, publicly announced the existence of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, whose report was anticipated in June of that year. Now, once again, we did an episode on this.
2: This is the report covered in episode number 95.
1: So be sure to check that one out. Now we know from our last episode that Dr. Gary Nolan and Jacques Vallée have been studying what is suspected to be crash material from UAP encounters for scientific publication applying the peer review process in hopes that it will be the first UFO case published in a referred scientific journal. But as we also know from that episode, the scientific publishing game is a pretty dirty business. So honestly, who the fuck knows what's going to happen there? Uh, Something to keep an eye on. Now, back in June, we listened to the Arrow Hearing where uh, Sean Kirkpatrick said that the U.S. Defense Department had a database with 800 reports of anomalous objects it had recorded over decades. And just last month in July, Ryan Graves, Executive Director of Americans for Safe Aerospace, along with retired Air Force major and former member of the UAP Task Force, David Grush, and retired Navy commander David Fraver from the Nimitz encounter were sworn in during a House Oversight and Accountability Subcommittee hearing on UFOs to give their testimony on the phenomenon. Now, of course, we here at the podcast from Outer Space watch this happen live. And did you guys have any, I guess, thoughts or discussions on the most recent hearing?
3: Um yeah, actually, so the I forget the name of the con the the congressman that was kind of heading up the the effort um i think he's from tennessee i believe i don't remember his name
1: oh yeah i i I don't recall his name but the the guy that was like making jokes and stuff
3: yes saying that's not the chinese app tiktok it's not tiktok it's a Tac like the candy.
1: My daughter calls me a boomer. I told her, no, that's Tic Tac like the candy. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't the, the tick Tac. <laughs> yeah. Yeah that that, um, yeah. that that guy. Right. That, that guy's a G. But anyway, so I I was on News Nation um, randomly a couple of days ago, just kind of trying to find more content on this topic. And they actually, he did an interview with News Nation a couple of days ago. And he essentially said that the progress in terms of trying to get that skiff, and trying to declassify, you know, the, the information, so they can actually dig into it and really be able to talk to Grush. I mean, they even tried to try to get Grush's uh, clearance status re- restored. Which, I mean, that's that's a complete pipe dream. I think anyone would know the government. I mean, if the government is trying to block him, like they are, I mean, in my opinion, it's like very apparent. They're not gonna. They're not gonna restore his clearance. So with that being said, they keep running into issues with the DOD and the Pentagon, not allowing them into a skiff, not granting the, the clearances, you know, necessary to have okay. these discussions. And, and I that, think that is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird, man. It's like, okay, well, obviously everyone knows that this is being talked about. Um, but The powers that be that that hold the keys to the to the vault, you know, they're able to just keep hanging on to those keys. Really? I mean, because in the
1: hearings, like I think the most notable thing was like, obviously, David Grush, he's been like the big subject um, within the UFO camps. Um, which he like mostly recounted secondhand testimony, uh, and he provided no public evidence to support his claims. And it is like you're saying, he kept asking for a skiff, which is, uh, isn't that for the people that might not know, um, sensitive compartmented information facility. So that's basically like a room where they can go give classified information. Um,
2: But yeah, since that was like an open hearing and like anyone could have tuned in from across the world and they were kind of trying to like not fully let the cat out of the bag there. I think it's like a behind closed doors discussion that they can have where it's like the whole world's not watching them, you know?
1: Yeah, but it's just like Billy was saying. And even I was reading some stuff um, or I was hearing different rumors that they were denied the skiff.
3: Yeah. And and he. I mean, honestly, the congressman seemed very downtrodden. He seemed defeated. He was like, (laughs) I don't know how we're going to get this ball rolling. Like the government has, you know, just the the buck stops with the government, with the DOD. What's also crazy to think about, too, is he keeps pointing out that the Pentagon has had so much money that's unaccountable um, when they're audited. And you know, so
1: they failed the last like five years, right?
3: Yeah, man. Like and and he made a really great point where he was like, you know, you and I being the average US citizens, if the government had found out that we had, you know, been that fiscal fiscally irresponsible, we would go to prison. He said if you sold six hundred
1: dollars worth of stuff on eBay, they're coming after you. But the, right. the Pentagon exactly. fails the day gone thing every year.
3: <laughs> but they get away with it, right? Because they're they're over I mean, in my opinion, a lot the government is above the law, right? I mean, the DOD should by law, they're mandated by a congressional directive to provide this information to get the skiff open, to provide the information requested. yet they're able to get away with not doing it and they're not being held accountable for not doing it. So what's going to make them actually do it?
1: Okay. So this is my gripe with this thing. And before we get into, I guess, I mean, that kind of throws a wrench into what I have written for the follow up here, but so, okay, the government's denying this guy a skiff. So why don't they just fucking offer some, these are senators, congressmen, they could at least offer some sort of protection for graves. And he just is a true whistleblower and comes out with every evidence piece that he has who gives the fuck them if they won't let him do the classified shit just fucking put it send it to the Times, send it to the fucking new york post
3: well the problem is i don't think they have the ability to to leak these documents right chris grush has made an agreement with the ic community as a whistleblower that he can only speak on certain things but rob you had a point
2: no i was just saying like i didn't i didn't really look as far into it as you were just talking about where like he made some like agreement. But when I was looking on Reddit last week before we (laughs) recorded this, it was just, I saw like someone's comment on like, basically like someone did like a TLDL on the whole hearing. And then someone's comment was just like, dude, if this guy's like a true whistleblower, then like fuck a skiff. And like Ryan was saying, just like put it out there. And then in my head, I was like, dude, they had to have made like some deal behind closed doors because like, I feel like, I mean, that was in like June, right? Late June, early July. Yeah. And it's like, it's not like nothing's happened all summer and you're just getting, well, just, they
1: have a recess. Yeah. So that's why, but also
3: but, in terms of like grush coming out with all that stuff, I mean, you have to think, right? Like he, if you want to take him seriously, if you want to really trust that he's a bona fide whistleblower, you know, and his credentials do speak for himself. I mean, the inspector general of the IC community had deemed this a credible and urgent situation right so the guy's obviously established some level of credibility so if you want to if you want to look at it from that perspective if he just started leaking all this stuff out that would compromise his safety he would then be at the mercy of being arrested and thrown in the
1: yeah but snowden did this Snowden did the same thing and look at him. He seeked asylum in Russia.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, and he could seek asylum, but maybe he's not at that point. Maybe he will, who knows what the future will bring. But um you know, I think there's there there's a lot of consequences that come to something that that epic. It's like if you go out and spout off about all these T S, you know, SCI <laughs> extremely classified information you're gonna get fucked
1: but that's yeah. a true whistleblower that's but, a fucking hero that's a patriot dude what he's I doing that. now is this bullshit fucking they had that whistleblower act where the government's gonna protect him and they have to do it all like by the book i say fuck that dude can you imagine the hero this guy would be if he put out Like evidence, full on irrefutable evidence of like the government covering this up. This guy would be a fucking legend. Who cares if he's got to go live in Russia? I mean, this guy needs to put uh, probably him, dude, but he can't go on fucking all these news nation interviews and be like, oh, people have been threatened and I, I've been threatened to be killed and I have all this information and then just not give any evidence. I mean, I guess it is still early and it, maybe I'm being too harsh, but that's just,
3: yeah, all, all I'm saying is, you know, you, you got to look at like the, obviously from, from the hearings itself, Grush was questioned about him being targeted him being treated badly, you know, like nefarious actions from the government against him and his 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 cohorts, his peers that are speaking out on this stuff. And he said that that is happening. Right. So I don't know. I'm just saying, theoretically, he may be in a mindset of I'm already being fucked, like professionally. And, you know, from so many different angles, like, let me try to ride this out and see if we can get let's try to do this the legal way, you know what I mean? And follow the process and see where this takes us. Maybe we, maybe we can actually get disclosure through this. If we, if we just hold tight, but that's a dirty game, dude. I, th-
1: I
2: think though, if you look like if we're going grand scheme of things here, right? Big picture, right? The entire time since let's say that, like just for layman's terms that roswell is the start of all this stuff right like the first time where like people outside the government had evidence that something crashed that government came and cleaned it up the government tried to cover it up by saying it's a weather balloon and every single thing since then even if you look at if you say the tic tac is the most like irrefutable like hard evidence that we have that a ufo exists and has like not only like outrun our top technology but also like a fucking navy commander can't identify what it is and can't catch up to it in like an elite fighter jet that's and then this guy also risks his professional career and namesake to go and back this guy up in the quote unquote legal way it's like how much longer do you drag this out until you're just like hey guys you know what like fuck it this is what's going on this is the evidence i have because if you look at it from 1947 until now which is almost shy of a barely shy of a century of them just trying to cover up everything. I don't think that this is really any different because right. like either this guy going to get fucking Jeffrey Epstein before the year's done <laughs> or he's going <laughs> to have to seek He's going to have to seek asylum somewhere and just be like, Hey dude, like I'm full on blowing the whistle on this shit. Like here's what's up because so far all he's done is like oh hey i got the guy that filmed the tic tac footage with me here and you know there's this other stuff going on and the government's trying to hide it from us like yeah buddy we already fucking know that like tell us something that we don't know it's like (laughs) yeah well i don't see the government being proactive enough to admit like hey guys we have been we've been fucking up and we don't know what this is and here's what we got so far. Like if it's classified, it's going to stay that way until someone like truly decides like, Hey, here's what's up.
1: And right. That's like what I'm saying with the legal channels and that type of shit. It's like, look at everything we just talked about and the, how the government treated the phenomenon from day one, they were already saying, Hey, fuck this. This is bullshit. So why does this guy think, Oh, I'll go through the government to get this done. And then, of course, <laughs> nothing bad get, will happen to <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, like, well, I don't, under, like, that mindset doesn't make sense. I guess, like, yes, we talked about a fear for his own safety and he's been threatened before. But I mean, dude, fucking grow some nuts, get out to Russia with Snowden and fucking <laughs> pal it up,
3: dude. I hear you, man. I'm just saying, like, I, <laughs> I think that it it would be easy. In theory, to be like fuck it, I'm gonna do that. But that's like a monumental, life-altering decision. You know what I mean? That's uh, that not everyone may be willing to take. But I think with something that is this um, profound in terms of like you know the humans, human civil, civilization and the track and the history and everything. I mean, this would be the biggest news of humanity. Can you imagine being the one to herald that? Right. And maybe he doesn't have the fucking
1: cojones to back it up. Maybe he doesn't have
3: what we're talking about.
1: Maybe this is another fucking Bob Lazar type.
3: Maybe. And there's definitely that possibility. But I wouldn't put the cart before the horse just yet because maybe he will end up, you know, going full whistleblower.
1: Right, right. I mean, I think this is a developing story, like we said, so we're definitely going to pay attention to it. But um, just another tangent here on like kind of everybody coming out full force saying we've got the videos, we've got evidence, aliens are real, and then backpedaling. I think I saw somewhere, and maybe it was on Reddit, didn't like Tom DeLonge tweet out or X out, I guess is what it's called now? (laughs) Didn't he put out a tweet that said like, oh, yeah, the public's not ready for this. Like, this is why we haven't made it public. Like, basically backpedaling his whole fucking to the stars shit.
3: That sounds like some horse shit, man. I mean, come on, <laughs> right. look. Like, Which is like, dude, you- how
1: how long can they dangle the
3: carrot? And it's only going to benefit their brand. They're only going to make more money if they come out with some shit with some information that is going to like you know make waves and like you know like make some noise. Because honestly, dude, I feel like the majority of the people that I know, and in my opinion, the majority of the population of this country, they really don't care. They're either they don't care about this topic or they brush it off and laugh at laugh at it. Right. So well, that's what I'm
1: saying. I feel like the fucking Grush dude could give. A picture of a fucking alien in the Senate hearing, and nobody would fucking care at this point. People would be like, oh, cool, something else, on to the next fucking thing. You know? There's so much going on.
3: I mean, he would, but the problem is the government, if, if we want to, con- you know, have complete conjecture with that, but the government takes it very seriously. And if we want to believe that this is a, this has been a disinformation campaign since, I mean, everything that we just talked about in the history of UFOlogy, when you go back, I mean, it's, it's been apparent that they've been trying to, to change the course of the narrative throughout the entire experience.
1: Okay. Now let's see. Now keeping us back on the whole fucking recent hearing, because it seems like we have a lot of opinions on that. Um, Now, both Republicans and Democrats have called for further investigation after speaking to the witnesses. Um, You know, Grush, like we said, he claimed the government was secretly operating above congressional oversight. Now, ranking member Republican Robert Garcia, a California Democrat, he asked that, quote, these discussions and hearings continue said, clearly, there's a lot of information we don't know. It's also clear that we have to continue our investigation and accountability on asking the right questions and ensuring they're part of public record. Now, like we said, if we're going the legal route, that seems to be what this whole thing is all about. It's a matter of getting this into public record. You have these legitimate guys going on record, getting this in front of Congress, establishing more credibility like you were saying, Billy. It's not like this guy wants to maybe be an Edward Snowden, or maybe that would hurt his credibility. Now, Chair Republican Glenn Grothman, Republican from Wisconsin, perhaps that was the gentleman with the uh, country accent. Um, or no, that guy was from Tennessee. Pa- that guy was from Tennessee. Yeah, he's from okay.
3: Tennessee. Yeah, this um, is someone else. So
1: yeah, Glenn Grothman, um, he went on Wisconsin Public Radio saying that he expected to receive a confidential briefing from witnesses and the hearing sometime next in the next month and a half and called for legislation that would allow the release of historical documents on uaps now as we know as we talked about congress is now taking a summer recess um so while the exact timing and dates of future hearings and investigations have not been set it does appear (laughs) That the cross-party support and interest will certainly guarantee more action on UAPs at some point in the future. Um, Or, you know, maybe like we were saying, the DOD and the Pentagon are just going to continue to operate with impunity and say, go fuck yourselves. Um, But, you know, now with speculation and interest at their most intense, the question is, what happens next after this groundbreaking hearing? you know, what do we got? I mean, what do you, I mean, I think we kind of talked about some of our conclusions on the hearing, but I mean, what do you guys think will happen? Do you think this is just a facade? This will keep going as it's been going since the forties, or do you think we'll actually get some sort of disclosure in the next five, 10 years?
3: I'd have to agree with you guys, you know, um, from the conversation we had just a second ago, I mean, I, I as much as I want to stay optimistic, and as much as maybe Grush is trying to stay optimistic <laughs> about trying to take the legal safe route with disclosure, I don't necessarily think that um, it's ever going to happen because obviously the government has acted with complete impunity, um, not only in the UFO realm but just many other part, you know, parts of of what we see today, just in terms of legislation and, I mean. You see all the Epstein and that whole (laughs) thing. I mean, there's there's always been... The government can essentially do whatever it wants. So if it doesn't ever want to disclose, it never will. So I think until someone becomes a true whistleblower, the chances are probably pretty low that we're going to actually get that through our own government.
1: I mean, David Grush, if you're listening, come on, dude. Don't take the fucking pussy route. You got (laughs) to fucking go. You got to go full Snowden on these fuckers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I definitely agree. I don't think... I mean, given what we know now or, like, this far, like, everything just seems to be another, like, cover-up scheme or it's just a weather balloon and they're kind of just sticking to that. So I think Billy's absolutely right in saying like until, until someone goes like off the beaten path basically and decides like, Hey, like this is what's really going on. This is the evidence I have to support it. And just basically puts them on blast and lets everyone know what, what is really going on. Then there's no way for us to have a definitive answer on it,
1: right? Okay. All right. Now <clears throat> kind of bringing us uh, to a close here, a coup de gras. I spent a good amount of time trying to figure out, you know how to wrap this one up because as we just talked about, you know, after all of this, it seems that we are still so far from getting any real answers. Um, You know, in fact, most people out there probably are left with more questions. Um, And I'm sure, you know, many people out there are focused on the definitive question, are aliens real? Or as Tom DeLong would have you believe, do aliens exist? And if you Google this, you'll get a thousand clickbait articles. Uh, You know, some are interesting reads that outline all the possibilities and theories and speculations on intelligent life in the universe. Yet the bottom line is, is that we, the general public, still have no definitive proof. And therefore, the question remains open. Now, virtually all astrobiologists suspect that we are not alone in the universe. Um, Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at the SETI Institute, which is the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, has wagered that we will find irrefutable proof of intelligent life by 2036. So mark your calendars for that, loyal Legion. Um, Now, astronomers have determined that there may be hundreds of millions of potentially habitable exoplanets in our galaxy alone. And while interstellar travel by living beings still seems like a far-off possibility... Physicists have known since the early 1990s that faster than light travel is possible in theory. Theory only takes you so far. And new research suggests that this might actually be achievable in practice someday. So much like the early years of flight and rocket scientists that we discussed earlier, while we may still be decades away, it does seem to be within reach. Now, as we said, Other than various claimed UFO sightings, uh, many we just looked at in this episode, and some evidence of life-building compounds on distant planets, there is no solid evidence of aliens. Not in the classical sense that the public imagines, or this image of them that we see made all too common by sci-fi and pop culture. Now, that's not to say that they don't exist. Alien by definition. It's foreign, dissimilar, Inconsistent or opposed in nature. Now, scientists have long asked why, even though there are so many stars, we have yet to come in contact with another civilization. This question is known as the Fermi paradox, and we looked at this in full detail on our episode of the topic.
2: Check out episode number 54 for more on that.
1: Now, some of the main theories are common ones that I'm sure we've all heard. You know, life is extremely rare. Perhaps we're the only ones. Uh, Perhaps other civilizations don't want to make themselves known. Maybe they aren't as optimistic as uh, shouting into the abyss to see if anyone hears them. Uh, Or could it be that no life form has survived long enough to use their technology to make contact with other civilizations? I mean, we know from this episode, looking at humanity, Einstein provided his groundbreaking theories in 1905 and 1915, and just 30 years later, we took that scientific knowledge and weaponized it. And given what we know about science now, or perhaps how little we seem to know, could we have been meddling in something that we don't fully understand the consequences of? Perhaps we've disturbed something within the fabric of the universe and are only now starting to see this, the effects of it. Now, as we said up top, many believe that the UFO phenomenon itself is tied into science, quantum mechanics, the unexplained, the paranormal, human consciousness, the very fabric of reality. It's all tied together. Einstein himself spent most of his life searching for a theory of everything and never figured it out. Other scientists like Stephen Hawking followed suit. And yet humans as a species still don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. And maybe we're looking at the puzzle from the wrong angle. Just like Einstein changed 200 years of science with one single theory, how long before someone comes along and shatters what we now perceive as the norm within our limited understanding of science? If we go off the 200-year model, that won't happen until 2115. Try to imagine what our world would look like then.
3: be like the jetsons or something you know (laughs) the
1: jetsons that was supposed to be like now dude
3: yeah exactly well they i mean they were off on that one probably gonna be
2: living on mars by then living off world dude it's gonna be uninhabitable
1: (laughs) right um now now perhaps looking for aliens may not be as simple as we've made it out to be We've seen from this episode that our ideas of what an intelligent species might look like has been hopelessly entangled with our own mythology, pop culture, science fiction, fantasy. They've all played important roles in establishing these ideas in our minds. Um, As one scientist puts it, perhaps the search for intelligent life in the universe may be like imagining a color we've never seen.
3: Now, that's... That's a really really like creative way to put that, right? It's like, ah, if we find intelligent life in the universe. It's it's a color that existed but we just never knew it did. So we're seeing it for the first time.
1: It does put that it's just a different way to look at things. Um, you know, instead of nuts and bolts, aliens coming to invade us or martians or tales of war of the worlds. Um, and you know, you take that even further, perhaps an alien civilization, perhaps their reality, their experiences, how the world is perceived to them could be unimaginably different from humanity's experiences. You know, we've talked about the multiverse, multiple dimensions, perhaps it's something coming through from that realm. Right. Um,
3: it's just crazy to think about how much we don't know, you know.
1: Right. It is eye-opening. Um.
3: And to acknowledge that is important. Absolutely.
1: Um, Now, let's just say that maybe all of this stuff up on the hill is a smokescreen. Maybe it's not extraterrestrials. And let's say that first contact hasn't been at the hands of some unknown government agency in a top-secret bunker somewhere. What if, at the moment, we truly are alone in the universe? I mean, after all, We just saw in this episode, scientists have spent millions, probably billions of dollars searching the skies for any signs of life with no definitive proof. You guys know the significance of this? As we record this episode... The twin Voyager 1 and 2 spacecraft are currently exploring where nothing from Earth has ever flown before. Since their launches in 1977, they are now much further away from the Earth and Sun than Pluto. Both Voyager spacecrafts carry a greeting to any life form that may intercept them, should that ever happen. The messages carry, are carried on a phonograph record, a 12-inch gold-plated copper disc containing sounds and images selected to portray the diversity of life and culture on planet Earth. After greetings in 55 different languages and sounds of Earth, this is the first selection of music, Brandenburg Concerto No. 2 by Johann Sebastian Bach. Some 5 billion years from now, When the sun has stopped generating heat via nuclear fusion and its core has become unstable and inevitably expands swallowing up planet earth this will still be out there traveling through the abyss of the cosmos imagine the sights it will have seen by then five billion years whole other worlds galaxies solar system cosmic events the sheer beauty of the universe and if it is intercepted at some point in time, this could be an entire different civilization's first introduction to life here on Earth. And hopefully, they would want to come visit.
3: That's incredible, man. Absolutely incredible.
1: Now, to me, that would be a better first contact than some fucking dickhead government agency keeping this shit a secret from humanity all this time.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of beautiful because it's just out there. Like, it's out there just roaming around forever, and it, it doesn't have an objective, really. It's just kind of there, and... That's awesome. And I
1: believe in 2018, it made its way into... It's finally in interstellar space.
3: Yeah, it's further away from Earth and Pluto, right? It's like way out there. And the vast expanse.
1: Right. Sailing along. Sailing on, dude. Um, you know? And and maybe someone will find that. And they'll listen to the record. There's also Johnny B. Good on there they selected. Fucking badass. Oh, hell yeah. some aliens here in Chuck Berry.
3: Hell yeah. They'd be like, all right, these guys got some soul. Okay
2: think some aliens gonna be out there I think you I found this sound you've been looking for man <laughs> yeah <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah they're gonna bring it out to their uh, record producer <laughs> um but yeah I mean what do, we got any closing remarks I think that about does it for this episode um unfortunately we still don't have any disclosure from the hill but you know maybe we remain optimistic maybe it'll slowly trickle out in the next probably uh 10 years
3: yeah exactly i i I think it's just extremely fascinating you know i mean i know that this is the podcast from outer space we cover you know we've covered so many topics in regards to this topic and we will continue to do so because it's something that interests not only us but so many of our listeners and um many people but you know, just just Ryan, you kind of going through the history of ufology from the very beginning, and kind of uh, for me, it's opening my eyes to the fact that this 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 is a real phenomenon that's been happening for a very long time. And it, I don't, although I don't have faith that the government is going to cooperate, for lack of a better term, and actually disclose this information. I think the fact that we're seeing this all over the news now. Um, it's almost like we're living in a movie. It's like, it's it's out of a sci-fi movie, you know. Congressional hearing to talk about disclosure. Tom DeLong UFO. starting his yeah. Company. I mean, it's just it's just completely <laughs> mind-boggling. It's like just the fact that we're able to have these discussions, and just the fact that you know the topic is, in my opinion, getting destigmatized to a certain extent, although not completely. Um it's cool. I think it's trending in the right direction, you know, and, and like, you know, Ryan, Rob, I know you guys want just as much as me. We want disclosure. We want to know what's going on. Um, so all we can hope is that happens, but just the fact that people are starting to talk about this more and, um, we got high level government officials that are really getting involved in this topic. Uh, like I said, man, it's like, it's like living in close encounters of the third kind, not quite, but, it's just, it's it's weird. It's weird.
1: And for me, it's uh, actually kind of maybe the opposite of the effect it had on you, Bill, because I go through this history and mm. what really sticks out to me is that all of these cases you look at and then you look at, like we said, our own sort of motifs, conspiracies, pop culture, It's all just seems to be like, hopelessly entangled in each other and you don't know where one starts and the other one begins Um, and and I almost want to think the more that I hear these fucking hearings and the bullshit they're talking about up on the hill and grush and shit like that and the more they're like we said dangling the carrot the more I truly don't believe that they have something as revolutionary as like an alien body And maybe it's just because I don't want to believe that, like I said, that's the first contact with humanity, but I don't know, you know, I, I, to me, it's just, it is like, it feels like it's just something that's been going up and down and trending in the up and moving the needle up and down for years and years and years. And and it's just going to continue that trend. I'm sure, you know, I hope it doesn't happen, but maybe in the next five years, nobody will fucking give a fuck. Nobody will even remember this dickhead's name, David Grush. (laughs)
3: well that's fucking true i mean like i said most people that i talk to they don't really care about this topic i mean they laugh it off it's like oh what aliens ufos and and that's fair you know look like i was a skeptic before but the more that i've kind of dive more into this topic and you know the more that we've kind of had these discussions on this podcast like it's it's it opens your eyes you know and i think a lot of people need to try to think try to remember to keep their mind open because at the end of the day we don't know shit right. and i and think we it's still very don't know shit yeah man we I mean, still
1: don't have proof so but <laughs> and that, and the hunt will continue but uh rob what, what do you got
2: on the flip side of what you said like you know yeah obviously as much as we all would love to have some actual disclosure on this whether it be you know pictures or you know some type of proof out there i think that um you know five to ten years from now who's to say that someone you know doesn't actually come out and truly blows the whistle and shows us what's really going on if this guy decides to just play it by the book you know
1: yeah, or perhaps the mother ship will have arrived by then.
3: hmm <laughs> <laughs> Right. Or we'll find out the re- reptilians were real. Right, you
1: know. and controlling it all along.
2: They're going to come back and say, guys, come on, it's been 2,000 years since we showed you how to build these pyramids, and you guys still haven't done shit. What are you doing?
1: Oh, yeah, the, perhaps we're all just a product of, we're all just slaves to the Anunnaki, dude.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Building atomic weapons instead of building pyramids, man. We need peace, not war. We need love, not hate.
2: It's a cover-up, dude. It's a weather balloon.
1: Let's let's get out of here on this one, guys. Um, There you have it. The whole UFO story as it was researched by yours truly. Um, You know, I'm sure we missed a ton of cases, so feel free to not message me and tell me all the shit I missed, but maybe tell me some thoughts you had. Um, or if there is any future cases, I know one gentleman sent us a UFO case that he wanted us to cover. So I'm sure we'll take a look into that. Um, I believe starting next episode, we're going to be getting into paranormal for the fall season, uh, continuing to our Halloween special, whatever that is this season. Um, but on this one, I want to cite the newyorker.com, how the Pentagon started taking UFOs seriously by Gideon Lewis Krauss. Uh, Ianridpath.com for the transcripts of the Randlesham Forest tapes. Uh, Newsweek.com did the government confirm aliens exist? UFO Congress hearings by Tim Norton. Uh, Voyager.jpl.nasa.gov for the FAQs and fast facts on the Voyager One and Two. And history.com for UFOs and alien invasion, alien invasions in film and UFOs in defense what should we prepare for also known as the Cometa report and of course the intelligentsia that is forms and message boards of Reddit Um, so on that stay safe out there guys keep watching the skies um, and get ready for the mothership should be landed any day now and on that
2: loyal legion as always thank you for tuning in um as ryan previously mentioned if you got anything coming up that you want to hear our opinions on or have us research uh be sure to hit us up you know easiest way to do that is sliding into the dms on instagram podcast from outer space uh podcast from outer where you can shoot us a message there Or, you know, if you're a little bit old-fashioned, gmail.com. We can still uh, take an email from you. Um, But, yeah, be sure to check out our merch. we got some new designs coming up for the fall. And, you know, again, as Ryan already said, spooky season's coming up. So get ready for that, guys.
3: Yeah. Now, this was a really fun episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. It was a long one, but, you know, a very important topic. We'll definitely delve more into this obviously. Um, But thanks so much for the listens, everyone. We value you guys. You guys are the best. Um, We got spooky season coming up for Halloween. So I'm hoping that we can get an episode in because I've been talking with the boys about trying to get an episode where we can kind of just like share spooky stories or something like that. If there's something you guys want to hear, if there's a topic, a paranormal, you know, topic you guys want us to delve into, hit us in the DMS. Um, We want to hear what you guys want. So um, with that, We appreciate the listens and see y'all on the flip side of the moon, y'all. Peace.